You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Worship Review, your favorite podcast which evaluates the songs that we sing in church. Hopefully we do that in a way that's fair, but also in a way that's critical. We're not just here to, I don't know, pat everybody on the back. Sometimes we smack people on the back. And I am Colin, I'm a history professor, and my fellow back smacker is Tyler. You know, I've never been called that before, <laughs> I have to say. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm Tyler, a linguist. And as Colin mentioned, we do the show to kind of provide informative descriptions and even reviews of Christian worship music for those of you who are new to the show. And we not only are interested in words as uh, conveyors of meaning, but we also are both experienced as people who led music in churches at different times in our lives. So uh, we ha- we bring a little bit of professional experience uh, to the podcast, both from our work spheres and also from volunteering in the church. Yep. Professional experience, but not professionalism. Today, we are looking at the song, Sing We the Song of Emmanuel by Keith and Kristen Getty. Tyler, what we're going to do on this podcast is you know, but I'm telling you so that I'm in, I can in fact tell other people who don't maybe normally listen to the podcast, we are going to give a summary of the song, then we're going to go through kind of lyrics bit by bit, and then at the end we're going to give the song a rating and kind of give some concluding thoughts about the song. Bang, bang, bang. So Tyler, what is this song about? Well, it's... to sum it up pretty short and sweet. It's about Christ, who is called Emmanuel, and it encourages people to sing the song of Emmanuel, and then describe some of the core elements that are remarkable about the incarnation. I guess we could say, if we were doing a kind of comparative approach, um, it describes what is incredible about the incarnation as such, and what in, in many ways makes Christianity unique as a religion, and it describes different aspects of Christ's uh, first coming and uh, what was going on around him at the time. And it then encourages us to go and spread the news of Emmanuel near the end of the song. So we admire, we adore Christ, we sing his song, and then we also spread uh, the news, the gospel of Christ. It was written by, uh, well, it's credited to four different people. So you mentioned um, the Gettys. So Keith Getty is credited with uh, writing this song. Stuart Townend is also credited with writing this song. He's uh, obviously, if you're a regular listener to the show, you'll recognize him from our descriptions of In Christ Alone and How Deep the Father's Love for Us. He's UK-based hymnodist and singer-songwriter. It's also attributed to Matt Papa and Matt Boswell, so two different Matts. Um, Matt Papa tours the U.S. as a songwriter with Getty Music, and he's been nominated for Dove Awards on multiple occasions, 
and he is an artist in residence at Cedarville University and Marco Presbyterian Church. And uh, Matt Boswell is, in addition to being a very talented singer and uh, guitar player, I must say, is the uh, founding pastor of the Trails Church in Prosper, Texas, which is north of Dallas. And this is the guy who is leading the singing on uh, one of the bigger renditions of this song on YouTube, uh, the live rendition of this song. So we've got really four different creative minds coming together to form this uh, theologically rich song. Two Matts and two Gettys. Two Matts. Well, yes, two Gettys perform this song. I will say just to be extremely precise, Keith is the only one attributed with uh, authorial credit. Now, that doesn't mean that she hasn't contributed. I don't know that. All I know is what uh, we are given in the copyright information. So two Matts, a Stuart, and a Keith. And uh, a Kristen also performing it. So right. a big a big group, especially when yeah. you count in all the Gettys traveling musicians as well. All right. Well, let's go ahead and start looking at some of the lyrics then, Tyler. Sing with the song of Emmanuel. This the Christ who was long foretold. Blow in the shadows of Bethlehem. Promise of God now our eyes behold. Sing we the song of Emmanuel, this the Christ who was long foretold. Lo, in the shadows of Bethlehem, promise of dawn now our eyes behold. God most high in a manger laid, lift your voices now proclaim. Great and glorious love has come to us. Join now with the hosts of heaven. Okay, my first remark is that uh, in addition to really liking these ideas, I appreciate that the the words flow together in a coherent sentence. So, I noticed this, for example, in the second half of this. Lift your voices and now proclaim. Well, we we learn what we're going to proclaim in the next line. It's not just uh, a kind of disconnected thought. So, I like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But let's go through them one at a time. Um, we have this sing we the song of Emmanuel. I thought this verb structure was curious because um, typically in English, uh, the subject precedes the verb. So we we would say we sing the song of Emmanuel. And I think mm-hmm. it, unless it's just stylized for some other reason, I think the best explanation for this syntactically is that this is meant to be a an imperative because in yeah. imperative structures in English, uh, you typically have the verb come first. So um, mm-hmm. go get the keys where go is an imperative form of the verb. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's what's happening here. It's a little bit archaic because typically you will drop a pronoun if you are using an imperative instead of go you and get the keys. It mm-hmm. sounds, you know, kind of right. Shakespearean. Um, and it, if, if it were in French, it would be a question now because when you, when you <laughs> right. make that inversion in French, it becomes a question. <laughs> right. So if good. you keep the pronoun there in, in German too. And um, also in English, if you have a subject pronoun inverted with the with the verb, uh, like in have you any wool in that famous nursery rhyme, it's a right. question. Um, right. But yeah, so we were <laughs> an imperative calls people to action. It's telling we, it's telling this group of people that the singer is included in to sing the song of Emmanuel. Well, who is Emmanuel? We learn that right after that. This is the Christ, Christ meaning the anointed one, the Messiah, who was long foretold, foretold coming from a verb for tell, which literally would be to speak 
before mm-hmm. or to prophesy. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> curiously enough, prophesy also means to speak before because as pro meaning before and femi, which is to speak. And then this agent noun suffix, uh, tos prophet. Um, so we have speak before in many different sentences, uh, in many different senses. This is the Christ who was prophesied. Um, yeah. Well, then we might ask ourselves, what does it mean for Christ to have been long foretold? Well, here's an example, perhaps the earliest in the Bible from the uh, creation account, Genesis 3. Um, after Adam and Eve have sinned, God utters a curse on the woman um, and on the man. And this is the one he utters on Eve. I will put enmity between you. Excuse me. Um, he utters a curse on the man and the woman, and he utters a curse on the serpent who represents Satan here. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And many theologians interpret this as being really the first messianic prophecy in the Bible. It comes very early Mm -hmm. in Genesis there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so we also have a hint here at the prophecy in Isaiah, where we have a mention of Bethlehem. But Tyler, I was wondering if you had a thought about what this means in the shadows of Bethlehem. Is this (laughs) saying that... (laughs) <laughs> Bethlehem is a shady place. Is this a euphemism for like sin? Uh, what do you think is going yeah. on there? Um, I think two things probably intertwining here. Um, obviously, prophecies concerning Bethlehem, for example, in Isaiah, but also um, a description of people who walked in great darkness in Isaiah as well um, before the great light comes into the world. And then obviously in uh, John, the light shines in the darkness. We see this uh, mm. beautiful image of light entering darkness. And so I don't think it's describing, you know, Bethlehem as a shady town in any sense, or, you know, big palm trees overhanging this area, providing dense uh, coverage, but um, maybe in, in, uh, in a world that is in a way still under that curse uttered in Genesis 3.15, still in shadow Mm. from that and in need of light. What did you think, Colin? Yeah, that, that was exactly what I thought too. Um, but it is interesting that the idea of shadow can really do both those things. It can also just be just uh, helping this metaphor that they use in that line and then the line after it. So there's the shadows of Bethlehem, but then there's the promise of dawn. Mm -hmm. So you have shadows being associated with darkness, and then you have dawn being associated with, obviously, the coming of light. And so I think it's, yeah, I think it's referencing the prophecies just as you, just as you indicated, the the actual language in scripture, but Mm. it's also a clever way to augment what's happening with a, with a neat metaphor about dark and light. Very different sometimes than what we see in other songs where they just talk about dark and light. This song is, is actually drawing from scripture uh, to make that metaphor work. And the metaphor is just kind of coming alongside what's happening. It's not taking the center stage, as it were. Hmm. I thought we might do a, a short linguistic foray into this word low, because it's it's ah. if you just hear it, it sounds like L-O-W in the shadows of Bethlehem, but really it's L-O oh, right. here. <laughs> and uh, there are many, many hymns which use this old particle, exclamation particle, um, like uh, low he comes, etc. Uh, and in Old English, this would have been la, 
which is actually all over Beowulf, for example. And the most widely accepted, I think the most compelling uh, etymology for this is that it actually is related to the verb look. And so now, while it just means low as in, hey, you know, pay attention to this, originally mm-hmm. it would have meant literally, hey, look at this, you know, <laughs> look in the shadows of Bethlehem, promise of dawn our eyes behold. Now, we don't, uh, we don't use low to mean look anymore, but uh, it's, it's not unheard of for something to drop a final consonant. Uh, mm, and nice. as for this promise of dawn, uh, and also the shadows of Bethlehem, um, we, we talked a little bit about some of the prophecies. Uh, another uh, par- prophecy particularly naming Bethlehem is, of course, in Micah 5. Um, but mm-hmm. you, O Bethlehem, Ephratha, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth to me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So that's, I think, where we can definitely say um, Emmanuel was said to come from Bethlehem. And then in Revelation 22, and I wish we had mentioned this when we did O Come Emmanuel, um, mm-hmm. um, Jesus declares things about himself here that pop up in some Advent hymns as well. So in Revelation twenty two sixteen, 16, uh, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So when we have all of these hymns mention a promise of light, a promise of dawn, uh, a promise of a morning star, uh, they aren't just pointing back to uh, prophecy before, but they're also pointing to Christ's words as revealed in Revelation. And so mm-hmm. when we have this promise of dawn, Christ is that dawn that is promised to the world. Yeah, it's, this song does a really, really good job. And obviously we'll see this as we get into more lyrics, at least certainly from my perspective of capturing the past, present, and future of Christ. It is a true Advent song. And I think this is just the first of several times in the song where, yeah, you've just made that really clear. Just so the first of several times where it just really, um, yeah, just has a holistic view of Christ in the landscape of time, as it were. Okay, uh, Tyler, then there's this last bit in the song about God being most high in a manger laid and lifting your voices. I, I thought it was really nice to, again... It's a it's an obvious truth, but nevertheless, it's nice that they mention it. Is that in a manger was mm-hmm. God Most High? This mm-hmm. is Christ is God incarnate. This is not just a cute baby. This is God Himself in human form. Yeah, there's something I think healthily terrifying about that idea: the mm-hmm. God of the universe, the Creator of all things, all powerful, omnipotent, omniscient God of everything laid in a manger uh, where mm-hmm. animals eat their slop. It's, um, it, it makes no sense to the world. It is rightly described as folly to the world uh, by mm-hmm. Paul. Um, a, a linguistic note here, uh, those of you who speak French, you probably know the verb mange, like je mange, like yep. I eat. This is where we get the word manger. So it, uh, it's not just some kind of archaic, uh, it, it is an archaic word, but it's not just for poetry that people would use this word. It really is where animals eat. Yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. But now we lift our voices, so obviously poetic language here, voices can uh, only be raised in a kind of metaphorical sense in terms mm-hmm. of increase the amplitude. But we now proclaim great and glorious love has come to us. And those of you who are familiar with uh, the New Testament will know in First John, um, uh, 
it is made quite explicit that God is love. Um, yep. So, and the embodiment of that, of course, is Christ. Indeed. Right? Yep. Uh, anything else about this first verse, Tyler, or shall we carry on? Um, we're also invited to join with the hosts of heaven. And uh, as we've said a few times on the podcast, I, w- I won't go into too much detail, but the hosts of heaven, they're not uh, people who invite guests into their home, but they are armies <laughs> arrayed for for war. And uh, we see this quite clearly, obviously, in, in Luke. So we nice. join with the hosts of heaven who cry out, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And I will say now, because it pops up later, we actually join in the song. It, it invites us to join in the song of the angels, and then later in the song, we are shouting "Gloria." So I think that's that's pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of those little clever bits in this song. Let's see if there are some more in verse two. Come we to welcome Emmanuel, king who came with no crown or throne. Helpless he lay, the invincible, maker of Mary, now Mary's son. Oh, what wisdom to save us all. Shepherds, sages, before him fall. Grace and majesty, what humility. Come on bended knee, adore him. So, Tyler, what are we uh, learning here? We're learning more about the child. Yeah. And uh, we mentioned the Isaiah prophecy, which uh, is referenced in the song. That's given in Isaiah seven fourteen, where um, a a uh, son and king is promised, and his name is to be Emmanuel, according to God. And um, this king, curiously, comes with no crown or throne, and these are the most obvious symbols of a king's power. And in theological texts, these are often referred to. This, this, um, the fact that Christ came without pomp and circumstance is uh, often called his humiliation. And uh, sometimes we hear this word and we think of Christ being degraded in some way mm-hmm. by uh, the human person. And I don't think that that is what is meant by the uh, theologians who refer to this, uh, because humans are made in the image of God and it is not degrading uh, to be a human, um, but humiliation is related to the word humble. Uh, it is it means lowly. Um, it's not necessarily associated with uh, shame. So mm-hmm. sin has brought a curse and indeed shame upon the human race in the first Adam. But Christ, being sinless uh, in his conception and birth, uh, bears none of that shame, and so um, he is humbled. He comes with no crown or throne. He lays helpless. Uh, the invincible maker of Mary is now Mary's son. And again, this gets back at what we were talking about in the first verse, where God Almighty is, he's laid in a manger, um, but he's laid in a manger as a as an infant, as, uh, as a dependent on this woman, on this woman whom he created. Um, mm-hmm. It is perplexing. It is, it is marvelous to consider. Um, 
did you have any thoughts on that, Colin? No, no, I think that sums it up really nicely. And the song, again, the song just really articulates that very clearly, calling him helpless and uh, a king with no crown or throne. And yeah, you, you've, I think really, the song really taps in mm-hmm. to that idea of humility and being hum- humbled or humiliated, as it were. <laughs> I noticed something in here that, uh, we saw in a previous song, or like again, not necessarily a controversy, but just a something to marvel at, which is the line, "Maker of Mary, now Mary's son." So we again, I can't remember what song it was last Christmas season that this came up in, but we had a little discussion of it that we won't repeat here. But it is a fascinating idea to think that Christ made Mary, and we know this because in Scripture we know that all things were made by Christ and through Christ and for Christ. Um, But of course, Mary is also the vessel through which Christ enters the world. It's in through the womb of Mary that he comes into the world. And that's just a kind of a a marvelous thing. And so you have a council in Ephesus in 431 AD, which uh, not only confirms the Nicene Creed, which many Christians will know, but also confirms the idea that Mary is the the mother of God. She is, obviously, she is not the originator of God or like a creator of God. God is uncreated, but that Mary is the vessel through which God comes. And, um, you know, this is a nice, I think the song does a pretty good job of touching on that because we know that that's true, but you also have to be careful because you don't want to make too much of Mary. Uh, Mary is a human being, um, it's it's a blessed thing, and she is truly a blessed uh, woman that she would uh, carry Christ in the womb and be his mo- be his earthly mother. That's a big deal. So don't hear me say that that's not a big deal. But on the other hand, we want to be careful not to make too much of Mary. And I think this song emphasizes the marvel that that Christ uh, created Mary and now is her son. It's not, um, it's not marveling at Mary. It's marveling at Christ and mm-hmm. marveling at this way in which God lo- God's love is made manifest to Mary, but also through Mary, as it were. What mm-hmm. do you think, Tyler? Yeah. I'm I just reflecting on probably a tertiary issue, and that is how difficult it would be in, in a perplexing way to raise a sinless child if that makes sense, uh, because it's difficult <laughs> I, I to raise know. a sinful child. But I was uh, just having had sinful children, that's, well, that's pretty difficult. But I think the um, if 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 you had a child who could look at you without sin himself and see all of your flaws, it would be really really demoralizing. I think all of the oh, time. Sure. And so I I have to say I very much admire <laughs> admire her for that. You know, I um, guess that's true. Every time I got if if I had a sinless child, every time we got in an argument, I'd have to be like, oh, I guess you're right about that, huh? <laughs> Like I'm automatically wrong. <laughs> and you're also even arguing in the right way, whereas I'm not. So uh, that, I see what you're saying. Or your son's like, it's okay, father, I forgive you. And you're like, oh, I'm the worst dad ever. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we have also a depiction of the uh, the people who came to adore yeah, right. Christ. So we have the shepherds. And then sages, so this this kind of old word for a wise, a wise man, or what may have archaically been called a, a philosopher. Um, yeah. 
falling before Christ, this uh, child. Um, mm. And then we as well are invited to come on bended knee and adore him. So we witness the shepherds, these lowly uh, uh, employees, so to speak. We witness the sages, kind of elevated positions in society. And then uh, we are invited to come on bended knee and adore mm-hmm. um, Christ. And it also describes his grace, his majesty, but also his humility, which gets back to what I was talking mm-hmm. about before. This humiliation mm-hmm. is also related to humility um, theologically and, and etymologically. So I think a very, very good verse. Yeah. Yeah, same here. Yeah, really, really good at hitting the dual nature of Christ also, but also like, yeah, imploring us to praise. And this is another theme in the song, I think, of not just sort of, not just sort of thinking on what Christ has done and who he is and what God has done through Christ, but actually taking that knowledge and praising because of it or telling others because of that, which I think the third verse kind of gets mm-hmm. to directly if we can move to the third verse. Go spread the news of Emmanuel, joy and peace for the weary heart. Lift up your hands for your King has come. Sing for the light overwhelms the dark. Glory shining for all to see. Hope alive, let the gospel ring. God has made a way, He will have the praise. Tell the world His name is Jesus. Go spread the news of Emmanuel. Joy and peace for the weary heart. Lift up your heads, for your King has come. Sing for the light overwhelms the dark. Glory shining for all to see. Hope alive, let the gospel ring. God has made a way. He will have the praise. Tell the world his name is Jesus. I was, I'm just reflecting on the, uh, the uh, kind of ir- the irony that's contained in this. Not irony, but uh, I guess perhaps it's just poetic cleverness. The, the news of Emmanuel. Now, uh, for those of you who are familiar with the phrase gospel or um, f- familiar with the etymologi- etymological origins of the phrase gospel, originally comes from good spell or good news, which is a lone translation of um, euangelio from, from Greek, which mm-hmm. itself means good news. And so, uh, when we go and spread the news, it's it's compelling us to spread the gospel of Jesus without using those words necessarily. And I really Mm -hmm. like that. Um, And then we learn that the news of Emmanuel is uh, directed at a weary heart, a tired heart, and it is joy and peace for the tired heart. It's curious. These two are not necessarily linked. You could have joy and activity. Um, You could have solitude and peace. Uh, but here we have joy and peace uh, mm-hmm. for a weary heart. I I like this. I think um, uh, I think it could be a little bit stronger uh, because the the news of Emmanuel is, uh, of course, much more than merely um, joy and peace for the weary heart. But thankfully, the mm-hmm. song has already described this as that wisdom to save us all. So mm-hmm. the song has already uh, included 
salvation. It's more than consolation. It's yeah. more than uh, joy, uh, it, but it's salvation. So uh, I think this is not worded as strong as it could be, but it's good that it already did that in, in some respects. I'm kind of glad to hear you say that, Tyler, because there's very little in my view to criticize in this song. And I, uh, for what the song is, I think it's it's pretty impressive and 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 really straightforward like you uh not just in this verse but i would say in the song in general but also here it specifically i do agree that it would have been appropriate to have a bit more depth on yeah why we should be sharing this and and what like not just that christ's incarnation is marvelous and we should praise because of it but uh, more of a sense as to the incarnation leading to the death and resurrection of Christ. I think that's kind of underplayed a little bit in the song. And you're right, there's that mention of salvation very briefly, but, you know, I, li- I, I, would, I would like to see a little bit more, you know, some more mention of sin or more mention of just our own desperate state. I think it, you know, helps contrast a bit with, with, you know, this holy child, this Messiah that has come, that is perfect and sinless, and that is there to save us. I mean, why is he saving us, and what is he saving us from? I think that just could be something that the song could emphasize a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, I uh, uh, I will agree, but I will agree tentatively, because I want to leave room, I suppose, for a song to... Um, address things other than specifically um, the act of salvation and address yeah. other elements that are, are rela- related to it. Um, the uh, the latter half of this verse is also interesting because that weary heart is translated into a a lowered head, although it's implied, it's not stated specifically. But it says, lift up your heads, for your king has come. Of course, this is also reminiscent of a psalm, but uh, you can imagine uh, uh, despondent yeah. <laughs> people lifting their heads up and seeing their their king come into the city uh, with, with good mm-hmm. news and with news of victory. And we sing, for the light overwhelms the dark. This is, again, I think, a reference to John 1, for example, verse 5 the light shines in the darkness and the darkness mm-hmm. has not overcome it. So this is the light mm-hmm. really overwhelming the dark, the power of darkness. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And, and yeah, I just would augment what you said. The light darkness metaphor does show up again here. Uh, I, I would, uh, I would just say again, uh, it would be nice to have a little more explanation even in this verse as to what the, especially what the dark is uh, because it's not, it's not quite explained. The light is is hinted at as being the glory of Christ uh, and hope, but it would be nice to know a little bit more of what the dark is. Uh, and and you can see that too in a line a little bit further down. God has made a way. Well, a may for a way for what? Uh, a way. I mean, again, we know what that means as Christians. We know what this is referencing. Jesus Himself says He is the way, the truth, and the light. But He also tells us what where the way is going, right? It goes to the Father, and that it's exclusive. No one goes to the Father but through me. And Jesus is speaking in in the context of that verse. Jesus is talking about 
our need for for salvation. And so, again, I, I that's just a little nitpick, little nitpick of this verse and maybe the song in general. Yeah, I mean, as you said, the 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 scriptures teach that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And of course, um, this hope alive, I think, is is referring to a Christ who died and is resurrected. Um, hope lives, and we let the gospel ring. And then when when it says God has made a way and then tell the world his name is Jesus, I think it's also cleverly pointing back to that verse in scripture. The the name of the way is Jesus and yeah. he will have the praise. So I think mm-hmm. I think it does a really good job. Then we have this Gloria Gloria part, right, Colin? Yeah. Uh and I was being facetious, but my initial reaction was who is Gloria? Obviously. <laughs> Obviously, that's a little bit goofy of a of a question, but uh, popular eighties name probably. For those who aren't familiar with with Latin, and I wouldn't expect anyone to necessarily be, um, the the phrase in Latin that the angels cry. No, the angels didn't cry it in Latin, but in uh, the Latin uh, texts that are uh, in the Latin scriptures. Let me see how to put this in the Latin translation of the Bible called the Vulgate. The angels cry out, "Gloria in." Excelsis Deo, Gloria meaning glory, uh, Excelsis coming from Excelsus meaning high, lofty, greater, excellent things or places, and then Deo is a form of Deus meaning God. So glory uh, to God in the excellent places or in the high places. So that's why we shout Gloria at the end. All right, Tyler. So we've kind of already shared a few concluding thoughts. I've already said some of what mine are. Yeah. Um, what are your concluding thoughts on the song? I like that it does what it tells us to do, and it does it in a way that is scripturally sound. Uh, we, you know, we've seen some songs that they say they're going to talk about something, and then they don't ever really get around to doing it. This one says, mm-hmm. we're going to sing the song of Emmanuel. Here's a bunch of information about Emmanuel. Here's why that's amazing. We should marvel at this, and then we should go tell yeah. all, of our, all of our friends and family. Uh, yeah, and then is. at the end, it's just Gloria, Gloria, glory yeah. to him. So, I mean, it is, it's it well is exactly executed. what's on the tin. Yeah. This song is exactly what's on the tin. It, it's great emphasis on Christ as both God and man, the, the past, present and future. Like I said, uh, I think it, it could go a little deeper in a few places. I, I don't know how much I should hold that against the song because for what the song is on its own terms, it, it's really excellent. Tyler, what did you rate the song? I'm going to give it five out of five flat sevens. And I give it that because there's this, there's really cool lines. Uh, they're almost modal. There's so many accidentals in them, but the the there's this little riff that they play. Da da dum da da dum da 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 da. And I thought that duh sounded really cool. So. Uh, I like the flat seven. It's the same one as the wonky note and happy birthdays tune. Uh, what did you give uh, it, Colin? Uh, I'm returning to a very familiar theme. I'm giving this five out of five auto-tuned kids. Uh, I just, I, you know, I've, we've heard lots of auto-tuned adults in songs, and the Getty children sing this song, or some children, I guess, sing this song. I don't know if it's their kids. And, man, they're auto-tuned. Yeah. Well, <laughs> kids auto-tuned. sing out of tune. By, kids don't really sing in tune very well, generally. That, that's uh, true. Unless you have like, a professional children's choir. The, 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 typically the higher pitched a voice is, the easier it is to hear the auto-tune formant. And so these kids, yeah, these kids are really, 
it really come you can really hear the <laughs> robot stuff in there oh um, no it's a robotic children's choir coming to take over the world <laughs> All right, well, well, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Worship Review. We hope you have a great rest of your week. Don't hesitate to follow us on Twitter. Send us an email. What is it? What is our our email? Feedback. Feedback at theworshipreview.com. And yeah, just continue to support the podcast. Share it with your friends. We're really grateful for the listeners, and we hope to continue to provide what I hope is a helpful service to everybody uh, who listens. So thank you. Indeed. In the spirit of the song, we could say, tell the world about the worship (laughs) review. Indeed. (laughs) Bye. You've been listening to the worship review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.